super back. Season two, Tartar Project. If this is the first episode you're ever listening to, thank you so much. I really appreciate you tuning in. And if this is the 19th episode you're listening to or second, or just the fact that you came back, thank you so much for trusting your well allotted time with my podcast. I really appreciate it. This is really fun for me to do. This is episode 19 overall after a brief hiatus. Today, we have Andres of Snow. He and his co-founder, Rachel, are reinventing the home category. Uh, They have a really unique approach and ask a great question. Why do you have to make home goods the way they've been made for tens and tens, if not hundreds of years? Why Snow for the Tartar Project? Great question. I personally love the brand. I have purchased quite a few of their goods for my apartment. They are phenomenally made, and Andres and Rachel are just wonderful people, and I, I actually really like how they've taken such a thoughtful approach to building Snow as a brand. It's super impressive, and their trajectory and their growth and care for what they've been building is is truly, truly something special, and I wanted to highlight it for you and, and maybe introduce you to the brand if you haven't heard of it. Uh, you may have at this point, but if not... They're amazing, and you should definitely check them out. One of the things that I want to highlight that Andres will get to later in the episode is the fact that they have been taking a responsible approach to paid media um, from a time when it wasn't cool to even do so. I know now, if if you pay attention to a lot of the direct-to-consumer or uh, digitally native vertical brands, I think is the other uh, acronym, DNBB, now it's it's the rage, hey, maybe don't we don't want to dump a dump truck full of cash onto Facebook and Google because our cost of acquiring a customer is rising. What are we going to do? Starting back 2014, 2015, I'd say they didn't buy into that approach to building their brand and growth at all costs. It's, it's pretty impressive. I know I've mentioned that a couple times. It, it's true though. Um, I also like their approach to retail, how they really take the care and the time to make sure that their retail experience adds another dimension to the customer and another truly beneficial touch point for the brand so the customer can experience the brand in, in what seems to be a home. Their retail stores are special and their white space, which you'll hear more about later in the episode, is also very cool. Everything's decked out in snow gear and it's just a great way to see the brand in action. Without further ado, let's let's get to the episode. We're live. Tartar Project. I am in the beautiful white space of Snow Home with Andres. Uh, I'm trying to get better with rolling my R's, so that was partially practice for me. It's good practice. Thank you. Good, good try. Um, can you give the Tartar Project listeners a glimpse into what Snow Home is? Yeah, absolutely. So Snow is a brand for the home for the next generation. And so, I keep saying snow home because that's the URL and I type it in like yeah. religiously. So yeah, we, it's we, snow. <laughs> yeah, we, we refer to it more as snow, but you know, we are a home brand, you know, first and foremost. Um, with snow, we're, we're looking to do a few things. We, we design and develop and create all of your home essentials, but home essentials that truly surprise and delight the consumer because they're designed not only using the best materials and the best quality and the best craftsmanship, but designed to be used every single day. So low maintenance using 
technology and innovative processes to make them more resilient and more easily used every day. And then we also seek to simplify and streamline the experience of shopping for the home because it's actually like kind of a pain, right? Like it's it's difficult to navigate for most people. And by creating the perfect assortment so that it's super simple and there is no sort of paradox of choice and you're not stuck trying to figure out what you need. Um, but also we help with guidance, you know, with our user experience online to the experience that you would encounter in a store, um, one of our stores. Um, and all of the content that we create is meant to help guide you to exactly what you need and then how to live with the product beyond that. So we're, we're looking to and seeking to basically build snow into the home brand for the next generation. And not just the next generation from a from a age group or demographic standpoint. It's it's the way that we shop today, the way that we interact with the brands that we actually care about. Totally, and I can definitely attest to the daily usage because Snow provided me with my cutlery for my new apartment, um, and I can tell you the knives cut well, the forks work great, and the spoons are awesome wonderful. <laughs> um, so we're going to take multiple steps back. We're going to go all the way back to where did you grow up? Yeah, I, I grew up pretty nomadically. Um, I was born in New Jersey, um, but left the States when I was super young uh, and lived in Hong Kong and Australia, India, Indonesia, and then really came back for college uh, for undergrad. So we just we moved around a lot and it was awesome. I got to see a lot of the world and totally. grew up in a very multicultural uh, home, um, but definitely shaped my my worldview. That's awesome. That's incredible to be so well-traveled before the age 18. Where did you go to college? So undergrad, I went to Carnegie Mellon um, in Pittsburgh. I started off with the intention of going into pre-med. Um, deviated from that pretty quickly. Slightly, yeah. <laughs> um, really loved biology and the sciences and um, was super excited about it, but realized it wasn't, wasn't my calling. Um, so sort of switched into business. Did you have entrepreneurial pursuits along the way as you were growing up? Was that something you even considered while you were moving around during school? Did you care about school while you were growing up? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> I'd say, you know, I, I definitely had things. all kinds of projects and side projects. And I was very involved in sort of uh, the creative space growing up. So you know, my mom's an architect, interior designer, furniture designer, home design, and you know, the creative arts in general were like an important part of, of life. Um, so did a lot of things on the side, um, sculpture to art, um, was really into pop art, did a lot of really interesting projects, um, that sort of were at the intersection of the arts and, and politics, um, and social movements and, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors sort of really were only manifested through those projects more than anything uh, earlier on. After college, I, I went into consulting, actually, um, did, did that run, um, which was awesome because it was an incredible foundation for the future. You know, I'd built a lot of the skill sets, um, the toolkit, uh, a perspective on problem solving and uh, a versatility and like, you know, approaching all kinds of different industries and understanding the nuances and breaking things down in a very sort of structured manner. Um, so it was an awesome sort of training ground. Um, but then went to, to business school after that, um, which is actually where I met Rachel. And Rachel is your co-founder, but also partner. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually met at, at Wharton, uh, where we were doing our MBAs. Um, Rachel grew up here in New York and um, had worked in real estate 
for a lot of the time. Um, and the two of us met, met at Wharton. Uh, we were actually in the same cohort, which is kind of funny because um, they tell you that happens, but you never think it's actually going right. to happen. <laughs> Not to me, but yeah. here we are. But here we are. Yeah. So we, you know, we moved to New York together as a couple. We had gotten together while we were there and, um, you know, we were excited to, to move to, you know, the big city and set up our home together and start a new life. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the, the impetus for snow in the end. Um, you know, what we experienced together as a couple in setting up our home was what really drove us to, to create the brand because we were setting out to solve the problems that we encountered ourselves, you know? Totally. And what, what separate projects were you guys working on or did you think you were going to work on going forward, leaving Wharton? Did you have some idea in your head about the business that you were going to launch and with Rachel had something different as well, I assume. Yeah. Um, so she actually went into, she was really into hospitality, um, and real estate. So she had worked in real estate, she had worked in real estate, private equity and some other things as well. And, um, and hotel development. And I actually incidentally had done the same thing while at business school. Um, so we both had a sort of that intersection and the, and we're excited about it, but she worked in uh, real estate investment banking when she came out of school. Um, I was back in consulting for a bit cause I was sponsored. Um, and I had thought about moving to Columbia to work in, in real estate, private equity as well. Um, ended up deep, you know, sep- joining Rachel in New York. So that sort of ended that yeah. right. <laughs> deviation. Um, yep. <laughs> but, uh, but when we, you know, when we moved to New York, it was interesting. We were both working and you know, I was back in consulting and the two of us had some pretty demanding jobs. Um, and I was oh, yeah, traveling long hours. Yeah. Exactly. Long hours. Um, we weren't honestly super fulfilled by what we were doing. Um, and so there was this natural inclination to look for other projects. Um, and so actually before snow, there was another project. Um, you know, we, the two of us had sort of in setting up our home and, and getting things organized and set up, like we, we started to get really excited about a lot of the things that were happening in e-commerce and, um, me, I having grown up in all these different places had interacted through my family and through other people with all of these designers and artisans and things like that, that had, that create beautiful products and had really focused on craftsmanship. And, um, and so we ended up working on a project where we created a site, a, a brand actually, um, in the home space as well. Um, curating and aggregating um, artisanal design for the home. Um, it was called Decorum. And we, uh, the two of us, you know, would stay up all night, you know, nights and actually all weekends and work on it. We didn't know much about retail other than from the consumer's perspective. And we hadn't, you know, been trained in that space. And so we, we brought in some advisors and some experts to sort of help us along the way. And we built a site and from scratch and, you know, again, had no idea what we were doing. And right. it was sort of a side gig and we, we put it up and got some press and sold out of everything. And, um, and we were like fulfilling out of, um, Rachel's office, um, <laughs> over the weekends and had us, you know, a, a small storage unit that we were using as our warehouse. And, um, slogging it out to, to build something from scratch. Um, and it was amazing because we learned a ton about, you know, the space and what went into building something and the importance of building a brand from day one, as opposed to sort of aggregating because of the way that really the consumers wanted to interact and engage and connect with brands. And so it was an amazing learning experience. You know, we took a lot of those learnings and going into building snow thereafter. Um, I think sort of the most um, sort of central learning was that aggregating product um, was not the answer here. 
because the the connection that the consumer wanted, the, the customer wanted with the brand was was diluted by a lot of that. Um, you know, you, you the consumer wanted to engage with a brand that had an ongoing conversation with them that touched everything from the product to the content to um, the, you know, the reason that, you know, all of these products were brought together. Um, and so we, that was sort of a lot of the, the impetus for the, for, for snow and how we built it from there. Definitely. And then how did, how did decorum evolve into becoming snow? Like, did you see certain product segments or what have you have almost gaps in the market of something that you would want to offer that consumers would maybe be contacting you about? Like, do you have X, X and Y? Yeah. And it was the light bulb there, or was it an aha moment while you were yeah. trying to pack up a cabinet where it's like, yeah. you know, we don't have really great tumblers. Yeah. Like, why don't we do that? Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a little bit more of a process. Um, so we, we sort of wrapped up um, that period um, and we stopped essentially, and we stopped to think and we broke everything down. We spent time speaking to customers that we had worked with. Um, a lot was going on in the market uh, as well. So we were doing a lot of sort of research and speaking to, you know, experts in the field, um, gaining as much information and sort of being sponges at the same time. And then looking at the model that we had created and the potential for where it would go through a very critical lens. Um, so breaking down everything from the brand positioning and the market positioning to the products themselves and the assortment that our customers really actually wanted to the back end, the supply chain, the operations, the efficiencies that were that were not there in the previous you know, manifestation. And how could we actually create something that was scalable out of an idea and a problem that we had solved from one perspective and actually going at it from a completely different perspective? Instead of going after very unique pieces and decor items and, and elements that you know, were not super scalable and required um, you know, we're, we're sort of one-offs, um, which again is not super scalable. Q, QC or quality control and, and uh, quality assurance was very difficult in that kind of supply chain. Um, actually looking at something that was, had some underlying similarities and that we were working, we wanted to work with factories that had an incredible heritage and legacy of super high quality, you know, craftsmanship and materials, but could operate at a much higher level and could operate, um, you know, at a, at a completely different scale. And then we sort of really honed in on what was the problem that we were solving? What, what was it that the consumers really wanted? And what were the categories that they really needed when they were getting off the ground? Instead of going after the little details that were super specific to the perspective of the consumer, their taste, and you know, was very subjective, why not go after the foundation? Why not go after the core? Um, what were the decisions that they were making when they were setting up their home or when they were registering or when they were cohabitating and moving in together? What were those decisions? Um, and then we really sort of broke down those categories and we looked at it. And you know, the other piece of it for us from, from our perspective was so many companies at that point in time, uh, especially in sort of the, the direct-to-consumer surge that was happening, were going after single verticals. Um, home is a, is a very complicated space. Like, you know, you look at frequency of purchase, you look at, you know, how often these people are buying these things. You look at customer lifetime value potential with these categories. And we were turned off a little bit by going after a single vertical in the home space because of the fact that it wasn't super, uh, you know, a very frequent purchase. 
that would require us to just constantly focus on finding new customers as opposed to building true, authentic, deep relationships with the customer for, on an ongoing basis, being able to create products that they wanted on top of what we already had, um, allowing them to buy from multiple categories simultaneously um, and being a destination as opposed to being solving one little minute problem and just selling a product. And so for that, for us, that's one of the reasons why we decided to go after multiple categories simultaneously and launch everything at once and then build off of that both, you know, horizontally and vertically as we expand it. Super exciting. And I can definitely attest to evolving with the brand because I've never been excited about sheets before and life with linen. Oh, so that's amazing. I'm so glad incredible. to hear that. But we'll get to that because yeah. that, that in and of itself is a very interesting story because I remember when we met up a long time ago, we established that time is insane, but you were w telling me about the proprietary process yeah. that you have found. And I don't know if you can actually talk about that or talk about it at a high level. Of cool. Course, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, but when, from when you started ideating and one of the things that I actually always appreciate when sitting down with you and Rachel is how analytical you get. And part of that's the consulting background, the investing background, some of the most robust models <laughs> when we first sat down, it was scenario plan for literally everything. It was very impressive. Um, from when you took the time to think to actually launching with all of the product categories and identifying what you wanted to go into and what snow was going to be from the early onset, like consumers come to the door, here we are, this is everything. How long did that take? How long was that ideation process? Um, we had planned for it to be about six months. Um, it ended up being a year, um, for a number of reasons. I think on the product side, it always, I mean, it definitely took longer than we expected because we didn't want to put out anything that was just good enough. There was a lot of that already. We wanted to put out product that not only we were incredibly excited to use, but was game changing. You know, from a, if you zoom out from a 10,000 foot view and you look at, you know, what we're selling and you're like, wow, that's a white plate and that's a white sheet and that's, you know, what have you. But really when you get close to it, when you interact with it, for the customer, there's things that we can help them understand in terms of why the product is, is better and it stands out. But there's also things that the customer will only really understand when they interact with the product. We need to tell those stories. We need to find ways to do that. But we also need to strategically think about it when we're developing the product in the first place. We wanted to create virality in categories that didn't have it. So, you know, for, an ex for example, spent a lot of time developing our towels. Um, there's a lot of towels that you can buy. And how often do you talk to your friends about your towels? Probably not very often, right? <laughs> exactly. So, but if we can create an experience with a product that feels mundane, the product feels mundane as a category, but by you know, incorporating a proprietary technology that uh, creates air pocketing in the threads and makes the towel the most soft and fluffy, super absorbent, dries super fast, um, is incredibly light uh, and airy and completely changes the way that you interact with a towel and, you know, when you, after you take a shower or what have you, you might actually mention it to somebody. And that cuts through the noise. And so we really focused on rethinking, bringing actually some of our own naivete that was already there because we weren't merchants, we weren't home experts, to the table and asking the questions that other people weren't asking. Why the hell do you need a Dobby, which is that, you know, that sort of um, decorative stripe that's at the bottom that's just basically taking away from the surface area of a towel? Um, why is a hand towel so small, typically, that it and, a, and for, you know, a woman's hair towel, which is, you know, a really important part of their daily routine, 
a bath towel is typically too big and a hand towel is too small. Why can't we redesign it to be the perfect women's hair towel? Um, you know, that kind of thing actually made the product different. And that took a while to actually make happen. Um, and we did that across the board. The other thing that took some time was, you know, with the previous manifestation, we had built something from from scratch and we were, you know, building a brand, but it was a brand that was encapsulating a very diverse array of product. With Snow, we wanted to build a brand that completely rethought the way that uh, people felt about their homes. And so in many ways, you know, a lot of what was out there, all the brands the, the, were, were antiquated. They were, they felt kind of like devoid of, of humanity. You'd get all these catalogs and like you'd look at them and there was not a single person in them. Um, and everything looked staged. Nothing looked real. Um, you know, we would make all these, tell all these stories and we'd sort of talk about our own experience. And like, you'd be throwing a dinner party and you'd be super excited about, you know, creating this awesome tablescape and all the things that you'd made in this multi-course meal and, you know, your, your trip to the farmer's market or to the grocery store to sort of buy all your ingredients and to share that with the people that you cared about. But at the same time, you've got like a closet, you know, that is ov like overflowing with crap that you've hidden everything in <laughs> because, you know, you're human, right? Like all of that is happening on a daily basis and the beautiful imperfections of everyday life live right alongside the moments that, that truly matter that you're sharing with other people. And so we wanted to sort of encapsulate that. We wanted to balance the aspiration with, with the imperfection and to tell a true story um, about how we lived, how we wanted to live and how everyone else did. And so when we built the brand and when we designed the brand and we thought through the strategy and everything else, that took quite a bit of time because um, we wanted to rethink things. And the more we got into it and the more we worked with other experts and other people that were really helpful along the way, we realized that that first impression is everything. It really does matter. When you are differentiating, not just on product, but on brand, you can't cut corners. Um, and that requires time, that requires money, that requires people, that requires resources. And to be able to get that up to launch um, took, took, took a year. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then how did you approach the fundraising aspect of it? Did you wait until you were right near launch and maybe start a fundraise or did you, I'm, I assume you had to infuse some of your own funds, which yeah. was also scary at the same time when you're yeah. kind of in between things. Um, how did you approach that? Yeah, we, we kind of approached it from a slightly different um, angle. We, first of all, in sort of our philosophy on it, we, and thinking through um, what we needed to do to build and scale the company, thinking about it from a multi-category perspective meant that we had to capitalize less, right? We had to raise less capital because we weren't going to necessarily pump money into customer acquisition from day one. Um, we really wanted to focus on building the brand organically from the beginning to be able to have that foundation in place so that when we actually did spend on performance marketing or, or something else down the road, you know, paid advertising, we already had something in place that had built credibility um, and felt authentic from day one, as opposed to just pumping, you know, money into Facebook or what have you. Definitely. And before, before you continue with that, that, I mean, as a listener, you might be nodding your head. Of course, of course, you don't want to just dump money into paid advertising. This was way earlier than it is today. And that was not the common attitude when you were starting a direct consumer brand that would be reliant on reinventing a category. So it was actually super unique to approach from that perspective of not just having the dump truck 
dump a bunch of cash into the Facebook and Google machine and actually taking care about what the consumer is going to see. So I, I definitely wanted to highlight that. Like it was years and years before yeah. that, that was, was that cool. was about four and a half, five years ago. Um, and I think it was also when Facebook and, and Google was, was less expensive, but it was more just about, you know, when we thought through the kinds of ads that were going to live on those, on those platforms and the engagements with the customer, we wanted to be able to have sort of a 360 approach to the brand when you did land on our page. So we started like from day one with content. We had a magazine, our, our online magazine, living alongside the e-commerce experience from day one, um, even though everyone told us that was nuts. Um, but we wanted to create content that would help people understand and add value to them, even when they weren't ready to buy, so that when they did come back to us, they were primed and ready and they understood and they saw the value yeah. in what we were doing. In terms of fundraising, you know, we took the approach of raising less and raising iteratively. Um, a lot of people would tell you that's a, that's a bad move just from a dilution standpoint, but we wanted to make sure that we had the right milestones in place because there was so much to be determined at that point. Um, so we raised smaller amounts in the beginning. We raised from angels. We raised really from people who we thought could add value to, you know, our trajectory. So executives um, or founders of direct-to-consumer, successful direct-to-consumer brands or um, retail companies that had a ton of experience that, you know, we could pick the brains of along the way and ask questions and try not to make the same mistakes um, and avoid some of them along the way. So that was definitely the, the initial approach. And then over time, we raised additional capital from some larger groups and funds and uh, people who were really focused on the consumer uh, early stage space. But again, if you were to compare, you know, what we've raised to what other people have, it's a, it's a fraction of it. Definitely. Um, because we really tried to maintain as much discipline as possible as well in terms of like, um, you know, one of our, one of our values at Snow that we, we share as a company is about doing more with less. So being as scrappy as possible, keeping, you know, keeping in mind that you really have to sort of train yourself to do that. And it, it can it can become a slippery slope, right? If you're, if the answer to everything is like, oh, we'll just put money into it. Yeah. There is no competitiveness. There is no differentiation and it doesn't, the hustle is like super important, you know? Totally. You sort of lose the urgency if you just throw cash at the problem 100%. every time, because the moment that maybe there's a downturn, maybe things go south and there's no cash to throw at it. It's like, what do you do? Totally. I don't know. So I definitely, I think that's super important to be mindful of that. And you've done a great job, both you and Rachel have. Um, so when you hit the go button, snow, show it to the world. The oh shit moment, I guess. Yeah. When did it feel like, oh, hey, I think some of this stuff is actually working. Our approach was right. Our hypothesis was right. It's good that we asked why the hell do we have to make a towel this way? Yeah. When, when did that kind of click? Is there any particular moment where you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say first I'd caveat with the fact that like, you're always your worst critic, right? So you're always asking yourself, was this the right move? You definitely double down on proof and finding ways to, to prove out hypotheses and things along the way. When we started, when we launched, um, we decided to try to bring snow to life in a um, physical space. So we rented a loft in Manhattan and we completely decked it out, um, with snow from head to toe. Um, we 
brought in a, you know, an up and coming chef um, who we really loved to do some tastings and some food and stuff like that. Um, we then invited all of the press um, to, to come and experience snow firsthand, as opposed to just sending them a website and a pitch. And we did like a whole day of it. Um, and a lot of people came, it was completely different to anything that they'd experienced before. And they got to touch and feel the product. So when we launched the next week after that, we got a ton of press. Um, we got, I don't know, I'd say there were probably 20, 25 articles that came out in sort of top tier publications. But what was great about it, not just in terms of volume, was that the people that had written about it had written about it in a way that felt like they were already a customer. And so it felt very authentic because it was, um, it was sincere. And so that really resonated um, from day one. And so when that happened, it was definitely an oh shit moment because we weren't prepared for that kind of volume. Um, we, we did all of our fulfillment and everything in house. Like we were a very small team. I think we were like four people <laughs> and then a bunch of interns. Yeah. Um, and we had like a small warehouse um, in the building and uh, we were just fulfilling and, you know, we got more volume than we could handle. And the whole team was there packing orders um for a week uh, or more <laughs> but then we started to see customers float in um and customers that were coming in and buying a lot at the same time which is really part of our hypothesis if you could come in and get your whole home ready in one fell swoop boom then we really created something truly special um not to mention the ability to you know build a long-term relationship with them but that wasn't going to be proven out for a while so i think that definitely felt like a major win and a proof of concept for us that it could what we had envisioned in creating the brand without having put the words into the mouth of the person who was experiencing it and having them say something that mirrored that was a, a sort of a big confirmation. I'd of say. Um, after that, it, you know, then it just became more gradual. Then there's wins and lose losses along the way that happen where, you know, you prove out certain things and um, it's much more incremental. Um, there have been big launches of new products or, you know, the first time we created a store, um, that were also great proofs of concept uh, that that also definitely confirmed it. Absolutely, that I got really excited when I was I was literally walking down the street and passed a snow sign in Flatiron. It was your launch party or something that night, and it was oh, yeah. just I got so excited. Yeah, <laughs> and we hadn't talked in a while. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, incredible, and then reconnected. It was really exciting. So that will I guess we'll dive over into the retail aspect of it. Yeah with the white space that yep. was your first foray into a physical space mm -hmm. and then i assume there was always appetite for having your own retail location when the time was right when you could do it the way that you envisioned and take a lot of thought and just the meticulous nature that you actually approach launching because you don't do it on a whim uh, neither you do yep. which is great when when did retail start to make sense for you and and what did you see with the business that made you comfortable or as comfortable as you could be diving into that new just iteration? Yeah. So retail in general is like such a complex um, and complicated topic because it's just very timely, right? There's, there's very different perspectives on what's working and what isn't. And some people are saying retail is dead and it absolutely isn't. It's just a changing of perspective and the commoditization of product in so many ways, like removes, removes the need to go into stores that are only, that are not differentiating on any other value or experience. And in the early days for us, it was more just looking at it through our own lens, as opposed to the macro sort of environment. It was like, for some people, 
they need to touch and feel it to truly understand it. And so we would try different ways alongside, you know, all of the earned media stuff that we were doing and pitching the brand to press and finding ways to partner with other cool brands to get exposure. We tested very iteratively along the way. Um, we wanted to not just from a risk perspective, but it was more about, again, first impressions truly matter. So we really need to figure out a way to make it exciting and different. And how do we do that? That is the right formula for snow as opposed to, you know, just what has worked for other people because it's so different. Each, each scenario is completely different. So what that meant for us was in the beginning, we did trunk shows. Like we, we took over one of our investors apartments in Manhattan and uh, she let us just like completely overhaul it with snow. And then we invited customers to come in and, you know, like a hundred, 150 people came in the first day and they were just walking through the apartment and shopping and having a glass of wine and, you know, eating some cheese and, um, and they shopped and the conversion rate was super high and it was really interesting to see. And they walked away with a, an experience that felt real and they were able to extrapolate from that what their own homes would look like. Um, which was great. And so we, we sort of, it snowballed a little bit. We tested a bunch of other things. We popped into other brand stores. We, um, we did all kinds of different things. And then the white space was our first foray into actually doing something a little bit bigger. Um, Rachel and I were moving at that time. And we said, instead of creating a store at the street level that we have to sign a big lease and we got to deal with all of that stress, why don't we find a place that we can sort of not only live, but also is big enough that we can also have our team work out of um, in a connected space and then also create an environment that brings the brand to life and that we could invite customers in and we can use it as a learning experience to ask them, you know, why they're there, how are they shopping, what do they want to see, can we put product that's being prototyped out to see how people respond to it, can we treat it like a lab, essentially, and use it as a learning experience and that's what we did. So we, you know, we launched it and obviously there was a, everyone was kind of a, taken aback, I guess, from the idea that you're opening up your home to be right. a store, <laughs> but also customers really appreciated it. You know, they would make appointments and, and they would come and they would shop and, you know, almost every single one would walk out with a purchase. It was shocking. Um, and you would also learn so much from them while you were interacting with them. You know, we would sit down, whether it was myself or Rachel or one of our team members, and open a bottle of wine and chat with them for a little while. And it was kind of like, you know, a constant focus group um, about what they wanted, why they were buying certain things, what products they needed, what they, we didn't have that they were looking for. So it really shaped our, our perspective, not only on retail, but in, in general, in terms of the connection with the customer. So from there, we took that and that same, later that year, we launched our first pop-up, which was in Soho. And we actually, instead of just applying everything that we learned, we actually took a slightly different approach to test some hypotheses that we had that were outside of what we had already learned to try to isolate the variable a little bit. And we took a little bit more of a retail angle while still trying to build the context of your home um, with less about inspiration, more about letting the product stand on its own. Um, and so we did that. We learned a lot from that. It was very successful. But at the same time, again, there were learnings there that we applied to our stores that we have now. So we have one in on Fifth Avenue in Flatiron and we have one in Southampton and we'll be opening several others um, over the course of the next year. And we're seeing that, you know, balancing the shopping experience with inspiration for the customer that lives beyond snow 
is where the where the value really is. If someone can walk in and be inspired to and excited to set up their own home or refresh it or elevate it or you know take cues from what you're doing, you're adding value whether they're shopping or not, and that's that's super important. Absolutely, and it just adds this level of authenticity to the brand that has I feel just set you apart from the other not just home goods brands but brands in general, I feel like you have done a very good job of actually building something that feels human and something that people can actually relate to, especially through the use of space um, Thank you. No, and that, the products that, themselves. That's really been the, the intention. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. I think it is, um, it's been a, it's been a challenge because like every, you know, we went, we were talking about hospitality in the beginning and it's almost like incorporating hospitality into the experience. You need to find a way to, allow the customer to sort of get what they want out of the experience. But it's been, it's been a slog because it, you don't realize how much of every single detail matters to the experience of the customer from the moment they walk in the door to what, and what they see to every single conversation you have to what you're giving them while they're there to what they walk out with when they leave. Um, and it's definitely been challenging. We've been learning a lot along the way and, you know, I think uh, there's still a lot to do. Two other things that I want to touch on and then I'll let you get about your day. Um, the first one is, do you have any tips, tricks, or a unique approach to hiring? Uh, because I feel like that's that's a difficult concept for people. It's, it's always difficult to get the right people in the door with culture, with everything. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you've found? There's obviously no shortcut to it because it's, it's a very important process because it's your brand. Um, anything that you could speak to there? Yeah. Listeners. Um, I could talk about this for hours right. because we, we think about this all the time. Um, and I think over the last four and a half years that we've been building this, it's interesting because not only has our approach to hiring evolved, but so has our culture. And I cannot underscore enough how important, um, building on culture and, and defining one's culture is in terms of the perspective on hiring. Um, I would say one of the things that I've learned along the way is that hiring for fit in many ways is almost more important than just the skill set that they have. Um, and, you know, obviously you want someone with the right experience, depending on the role. In other cases, you're hiring for just intelligence and capabilities and problem solving and EQ and all this stuff. But fit really does matter because it has ramifications across the entire organization. So like when we as a company now hire, it might seem like overkill. Like people go through multiple rounds of conversations with multiple people, leaders and uh, you know, co-workers in functions that they might not necessarily interact with on a daily basis. Um, and after multiple rounds of these interviews and actually problem solving together. So there's like little mini cases and things like that to try to understand how the person thinks and what stresses them out or what doesn't, um, what's important to them. Um, we also do, we always have for final round uh, candidates, we always do like a little mini get together, a social gathering, um, a happy hour of sorts. And that means that there's a lot of happy hours, right? <laughs> which is, which is not a bad thing for everyone else, sure. um, yeah. but can get a little cumbersome when like you got, you know, you got your stuff to finish. Right. Um, but it is great because you start to see a different side of the person and you spend time with them in a, in a more relaxed environment. You get to know them a little bit. You see how they interact with other team members. Um, and it, 
it's amazing because it really does give you much more insight into how they would operate in an environment where you're spending so much time with somebody. Um, you know, it's a startup still through and through like long hours, yeah. uh, weekends at times, uh, a lot of stresses and, and challenges and failures and wins. And so like that is absolutely critical. So that's been like our, our biggest takeaway and we've stuck to it over the last few. And now that we've sort of, our culture in many ways was defined not just by intention, I would say even less by intention because you kind of don't know the framework that you're applying until you sort of start to see it come to life. And then you see where you want to improve or, you know, double down on. Um, we have, you know, we've, we've actually started to concretize that through our values, through our mission, through the types of things and now values and, and what our values are as a company have started to define who we're hiring and actually the lens that we look at them through. And so it's almost like it's just sort of self-perpetuating, right? And so that I think is a really great place to be, but I think balancing that, that fit piece is like so, so important. Absolutely. That's huge. That's amazing. The other piece I wanted to touch on, since you do get so excited about hiring, you get so excited about the experience that a customer has, what gets you enthusiastic or, or interested in new product categories? Like what, what draws you and says like, you know what, we're going to tackle this next, just touching back to the sheets aspect yeah. where you found a very unique process that actually creates this wonderful product that's very comfortable to sleep on, uh, plugging it. I am not paid to say this at all, um, but it is a wonderful, wonderful set of sheets. Uh, what, what helps you identify those categories? Yeah. It's a, it's a combination of a bunch of things. I would say first and foremost, it's something that, you know, we're, we're thinking through our product roadmap as a vision for where we want to build snow into, right? That destination across the home. And, you know, we, we are in the bedroom with all of our sleep products. We're in the bathroom with all of our bathe products. We're in your, you know, bar area with all of our drink products um, and at your table with all of our eat products and beyond with accessories and home fragrance and things like that. And, and we're going to continue to build on that into other categories. So we do have a sense of the direction of categories, but we don't ever want to put out products that are either not differentiated um, or not solving something that, that, you know, isn't existing already. Um, and, and are not like truly delightful and different. Um, you know, linen is the example that you're bringing up. We, we wanted to launch linen for a long time. Um, you know, linen isn't, isn't actually super popular as a material for bedding in the, in the States. It's much more popular in Europe. Um, and it has been for like centuries almost, um, which is, which is incredible to think about. And a lot of other people, a lot of other brands, our competitors and otherwise started launching linen and the product was subpar. It, it was scratchy. It was uncomfortable. Um, yes, it's super resilient because it's linen. The, the, the actual flax that goes into it makes it incredibly strong and super breathable. But like we didn't like sleeping on it. Um, so if it wasn't something that we were excited about, why were we going to put it out there? So instead we spent like two years waiting and testing and playing around and working with our manufacturing partner to apply a process that totally changed it. And by basically whipping the linen with air, as opposed to using harsh chemicals and all kinds of other processes that are used, we ended up with a product that was completely different from what else was out there. And I sleep on it every day um, and it is absolutely game changing. We've heard that from a lot of people we'll continue to take that approach with other products. It has to go through this super rigorous 
rubric that we have, then does it check all of these boxes? Does the potential partner that we're going to work with, the, the factory, to create this product have sustainability in mind? Do they care about fair wages? Do they invest in their people? Do they do all of these other kinds of things? So this whole sort of rubric is used to apply that touch on all these different subjects. Uh, but most importantly, does the pro are we super excited about the product? Um, and so we'll continue to do that with a bunch of other things. It's awesome. I think that's super important. Just again, going back to the authenticity of the brand, that's so important. Um, I think that that, that kind of does it. Uh, the only thing before we go, I need to know if you have a life motto or mantra that kind of guides you through. Mine's uh, don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. Yeah. So just anything that you apply that way. Yeah. Um, there's one that has come that I think has maybe not a life one, but more of a one that applies to this sort of entrepreneurial journey, um, roller coaster, however you want to call it, um, is is basically that it doesn't get easier. Um, you just get faster, which came from a cyclist, uh, Lamond, who said that. And I think that's been a major, it's been a one that's sort of like during the tough times and when you're like, is this even, yeah, is this insurmountable? Yeah. <laughs> like, can I get over this, this hurdle? Can we solve this problem? Um, it's the one that like, it's not necessarily something you need to repeat to yourself, but it's a good reminder to know that like, over the last whatever, however many years, you've just become incredibly adept at, at solving these problems, at figuring solutions out, and you don't get phased. You just, you know what, we're gonna figure this one out. And the approach to doing it, how it's gonna get done, how long it's gonna take remains to be seen, but you know that you can figure it out. And if you can't, you're gonna figure out an alternative. Um, and so that's sort of been what has guided, I think both, both of us, Rachel and I, we talk about it all the time, um, but yeah. Amazing. Where, uh, where can the listeners find you? Where, where do you want to drive them? Well, um, obviously first our website, uh, which is snowhome.com, S-N-O-W-E home.com, um, where all of our products are available, but also our stories and, and what we're building, uh, especially now during holiday season, there's so many exciting things that we're putting out. Um, everything from, a guide on how to win at the holidays and make it easier for you um, to all kinds of new product launches um, and, and our stores. You know, we have one in New York City um, on Fifth Avenue between 21st and 22nd and one in Southampton and there'll be more soon. So um, looking forward to, to seeing people at the stores. Amazing. Thank you so much again for doing this. Thanks for having me. First one of season two in the books, episode 19, Tartar Project with Snow and Andres. Thank you for tuning in again. If you enjoyed this, and even if you didn't, maybe toss me five stars on iTunes, follow me on Spotify, tell your friends about the Tartar Project. I greatly appreciate it. I have so much fun doing this and I'll catch you next week.